Welcome back to Are Your Parents Proud of You? I'm your host, Matthew Schufreiter. Today, I got to go right into it. We have the editorial page editor, the chief theater critic for the Chicago Tribune, Chris Jones. Yes, say what you will about him. He is on the show today. Whether you agree or disagree with his, rev- his reviews, he's here and he's going to give out his opinions. And uh, yeah. There's really not much more to say, except here's a little bio about him. Uh, He also serves as a Broadway critic for the New York Daily News. His latest book is Rise Up, Broadway in American Society from Angels in America to Hamilton. Also has a PhD from Ohio State and lives in Chicago with his wife and sons. That is just the Tribune bio. Uh, I did not do that much research. Of course I did my research. Have you met me? Uh, Chris... Uh, I'm professional. Chris and I met over Zoom. Here is my conversation with the one, the only, Chris Jones. Good morning, Chris Jones. How are you today? I am good. How about you, Matt? Good. Thanks so much for doing this. It's my pleasure. So you've had this title of the editorial role at the, at the Tribune for about well over a year and a half now. Yeah. And I'm wondering, at and you got this position at a weird time where... Now that theaters were slowly coming back and there was new and we've had almost a year and a half of Zoom theater or streaming or whatever, all that. How has the title or how has the role been so far uh, for you? Well, I've had a good time. I've always enjoyed writing about how the arts connect to the broader society at large. And I'm also, you know, a 30 year, I guess it's 30 years now, a 30 year Chicago. And so I always enjoy writing and editing stories about the city and what the city can do. And I have these strong opinions about what the city should and should not be doing, of course. And uh, so I've really enjoyed that role. Uh, It's true that for a lot of it, the theater was quiet. If I look back on my uh, 20-some years as a theater critic, there's less theater. Even now, as as we sit here, there's less theater than was the case before the pandemic. Um, and I think the reasons for that are obviously much talked about, but they include uh, a lot of a few people leaving the profession, frankly, um, the difficulty in getting audiences back um, because audiences got out of the habit of going to the theater. And that is taking work. And I think just some sort of natural ebbs and flows in the in the community. Um, I I think, for example, that the big theaters, so I'm talking here about theaters like Chicago Shakespeare Theater or Steppenwolf Theater, that those theaters uh, before the pandemic were producing multiple shows at once. They're all multiple theater sort of physical plants. And right now they're mostly doing one show, whereas they would have done before the pandemic, probably four. So it's still, um, from a theater point of view, it's still down from prior to the pandemic, but it's a much healthier place than we were in, say, 20 or 21. Right. But those bigger theaters, like you said, Chicago Shakespeare or Steppenwolf, you know, they're producing less shows, but they're fine compared to a majority of like the storefront and the smaller theaters. Um, For a storefront theater or even a community theater, what should they be doing now in in your opinion to stay not even relevant, but like just kind of keep their heads above water? Uh, not even like in this weird time that we live in. 
Well, I think that in 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 terms of a theater's health, there's always been a danger spot in Chicago theater, and and I think you're right that the large institutions are fine. They've got, uh, I mean, they wouldn't necessarily say that, but they are basically fine. They've got good, um, you know, good funding. They've got good donors. They'll they'll they've weathered the storm for the most part. And I think the very small theaters were able to do it too, because most of those theaters don't have full-time employees, for example. So they were able to sort of hibernate for a year or two, and some of them are now coming back, um, and they'll be fine too. The, the theaters that are always in the trickiest spot are the small theaters with, say, union contracts, or even just with full-time employees. And those were the theaters that had the hardest time because they weren't necessarily as wealthy as the large theaters, but they still had these overheads that they had to you know, deal with. Obviously, there was federal support during the pandemic, but that, for the most part, has gone away now. And so those theaters are really having to, I think, reboot um, and, and figure things out all again. So that's the you know, that's the challenge. I think the theaters just have to listen to what their audience and I think that now that's not always easy to discern because there's more than one audience in Chicago theater. But and it's not, you know, in my mind, it's not as simple as saying, well, everyone's been through a rough pandemic. People just want to laugh. That's not wrong, but it's not the full truth. I, but I do think people want before people will go to a show now, they want to know it's really worth their time. And And I think that that means what I would describe as. Uh, artistic events of significance, if that makes any sense, that you actually, you know, it's worth getting out of the house, it's worth going. And, you know, the reality now is there's lots of streaming options at home that you're competing with as a live theatre. And I and I think that that's a crucial thing, that the, the theatres have to do events um, that people go, yeah, I, I really, really have to see that. I mean, I the example I would use from New York would be Tom Stoppard's Leopoldstadt, which is a very serious play. It's not funny. Nobody laughs in it. But it feels so important that people have been willing to go and see it, even at great expense or great difficulty for themselves. And I think that's the case. You've got to, the theaters have got to be ambitious, I think, and have got to craft sort of must-see events, uh, that that would be my biggest uh, advice. And they don't have to be terribly expensive, but the the ideas behind them have to be weighty enough. Yeah. I No, I would agree. Uh, but all, I think also original work as well. I mean, we know that the, a name or a, of a show or an actor or whatever, that's going to do fine. That's going to do fine. And if, but you're talking, if you do something original, well, what's how are you going to draw that? audience in what ha what's going to make it stand out um i mean you know i'm an actor in chicago i've been very fortunate enough to be in our smaller original work that fortunately just has not found the audience and i kind of want to transition to my next question is what is now the state of the critic we all have our own opinions. <laughs> you know, I, don't, I mean, I, I mean, I don't want to make it sound. He's boring. all right. He's still alive. The yeah, we're still alive. alive. But like, I can go on Facebook and say, I saw this and I loved it or I hated it, you know, and, you know, my friends or whoever follows me can be like, oh, OK, well, he says it wasn't good. Maybe I won't see it or maybe I will see it. How much impact now does a critic kind of have on a show? Well, that's a difficult question to answer. I, I don't I, I, I would say 
I don't know in part. Um, yeah. And I also say it varies quite drastically from show to show. You know, it was interesting. Um, Frank Alade, who died recently, I was looking at an old interview with him in the 90s and somebody said, uh, and this was in a national magazine, somebody said, how has Chicago had all of this theater? What, you know, what, what, what caused it to happen? And his answer was the media supported us. That, in other words, what happened was uh, critics started paying attention to it, and people began began to go to the theater, and um, and that brought attention to the work. So it just multiplied, and that was that was the first thing he said. So I do think there's some truth in it. I, I've found over the years that when people get mad at me, which they do from time to time, um, it's usually it's more often that I didn't cover something than I didn't like something. And I think, uh, obviously, we can't cover everything. But I think, firstly, one of the things we do still, in, in we critics do, is we actually go to a show and we draw attention to the fact that it happened. And we provide a record of it happening um, that stays there uh, for multiple generations to read. And I think that that's important. I see that as actually one of my core jobs is to record what happened. Um, and without that, there is no record of that because the Facebooks of this world, of course, evaporate in a second, whereas, you know, the Tribune archive will always be there. As God, God hope it will anyway. So so I do think that's still very relevant. I think that critics like me who've been at it a long time have a certain following. And what I mean by that is there's some readers who are interested in what I have to say, and they may not always agree with it. They may often disagree with it, but they have an interest in what I have to say, and maybe even some trust in what I have to say. That's not everybody, and I don't really care so much about that. It's just I try to write for the re people who are interested in what I have to say and have been all these years and have supported my writing. Um, and I try to sort of um, honestly tell them what I think about things from an audience perspective beginning with, should you bother going? Is it worth your money? Is it worth your time? And also, what does this mean? Because there's a lot of people who um, who really want to know what's going on in the city. And in Chicago, the theater has always been kind of a bellwether of the city, the, you know, especially if you include things like Second City in that, in that list. These are, the theater is always kind of um, documented all the changes in the city. It's a, it's a heartbeat of Chicago, you know? And so much of our other culture is imported in Chicago. Our television's imported, mostly, almost all of it. Um, even if it's shot here, it's still creatives from New York or L.A. Um, our movies are imported. Our, you know, food, restaurants, and theater are made in Chicago for the most part. So they're an important part of that. So I think that's also very important. I So I, I think I have a modest impact on shows. Um, that is to say that and there are enough readers of mine who will go still, I think. And I think that has a big impact. There's no question many of those readers are older. Mm -hmm. Many of them still read the paper in print, which a lot of young actors wouldn't even, you know, can't even conceive of. I still do. So it's okay. That's all right. That's good. God bless you. But the, uh, so those guys do those, they will, uh, I think, go to a show if I can sell it to them to, you know, and obviously I have to believe in the show because I, the moment you sell something to somebody and then they, they, uh, they go and it's not what you say it was, then they don't trust you the next time. So I would say that critics still have a, uh, still have an impact. I always argue that staff critics are, there's a value to having the same guy, which of course is a lot of people in the theater would prefer 
25 critics uh all switching around from show to show um and that therefore diluting the power of any particular critic which i i get if i was a theater artist i probably want the same thing but the reality for me is that people like to follow somebody and just as they like to follow certain uh actors and writers on occasion and that they like to get mad at critics they like to the readers i'm speaking about here they like to get mad they like to agree they like to disagree and you know so there's a value in that and having old school staff critics means that there's an advocate uh, because you have to be sort of a lot of people don't follow the theater at all frankly and you have to sort of you can walk into a meeting and say look this is an important play frank galati was a very important chicagoan very important and you the fact that you don't know that doesn't make it any less so and so that's a very important part of what we do as well so i i try not to worry about um those things i i think um i i would say that the part the critic's power is diminished i think being a critic is more difficult in an online environment because in the print environment when print dominated uh, media, what happened is that reviews of people like me would show up next to other stories. And so people would be reading the paper and they would come across a, a review of a play you might be in. And they would go, huh, that's interesting. Maybe I'll go see it. The online environment, people are much more selective in where they browse and what they see. And there's no question that the big consumers of theater, which in Chicago are mostly people in the theater, they follow all these nuances of Victory Gardens or all the other controversies that we have very, very, very closely. But the danger is always that you end up talking to the choirs, so to speak, singing to the choir. And it's like we have to keep an eye on the broader population because that's the economic future of the theatre in many ways. And it's also the, the mission of the theatre. Um, so I think that's very important. No, for sure. Um and you know it's and like you said it's hard because you know you're one person or you're a small group of people you can only right. see so many shows you know like you said we can see the regional and we can see you know the ones that our your audiences are going to see and it, and it is difficult again if i'm a storefront theater and i get a good review from the chicago reader for example that might get me somewhere but it's not going to make i'm not sure how much more it's going to make my theater company go on much longer it might help me for this show but in, the, in five years from now how much is that going to do um i am curious though when you see your name above a poster for a show and if yeah uh, and you hear it's great what goes in your head at this point do you is it a bit of a you know you you saw the show you know it's good but is there a oh yeah i did that is there a sense of arrogance is there a sense of well people yeah. better believe me at this point like what is it well, I'll I'll cop to a certain, you know, I'm like any other person in the theater. If I walk, if I walk down um 46th Street and I see Chris Jones on the marquee, which I've had the pleasure of doing a few times, uh, or in Times Square or something, I go, Yeah, that's okay. The kid did all right, you know. Uh, that's uh key. And like anyone else, I I certainly enjoy that. And for me, that's part of the the culture of this industry that I love so much. I've always loved commercial theater, as you probably know, and I love Broadway. I'm fascinated by the the loop and I'm, you know, the theaters in downtown Chicago and by the, you know, we used to have here a, a much 
more uh, a much more robust commercial theater as we, than we now do. But so I do feel I, I do feel some pride in that, and I, and I think that's fair enough. I don't often what those quotes say bear little resemblance to what I actually said. Um, you know, you can say, you know, horrific show, but but great costume design, and it, the, show, the quote just becomes great, Chris Jones. And you're like, well, that's just part of the game, and I'm okay with it. And I tend sometimes people ask me. In New York, they're a bit more caught that Chicago, they don't give it down. But in New York, they'll often call and say, can we adjust this quote? And I almost always say yes. I mean, at the end of the day, if I like something and they want to use something I've said to sell it, and I'm almost always fine with that. Um, I mean, it, it, the critics are competitive with each other. There tends not to be some great critical community, you know, Um I'm always, uh, uh, there used to be more of one in Chicago. I think critics generally used to like each other more than they now do, probably. Um, I always, uh, I tend to defend journalists um, as a kind of point of professional pride, whereas I think some critics would rather um, see themselves more allied with the theater community than the, than the journalistic community, and uh, they take a different approach to that. But that's just not me. I'm a journalist, you know, and if someone goes after a journalist, I tend to defend them just as a kind of a, you know, it's almost a uh, something that we journalists just sort of do uh, in, in, a, in, in that kind of way. So I, I think that Criticism and critics, if you're asking me about Chicago, we are still here. And I think there's still in, there's still some influence and still some importance. I think we have to have guts now. It's very difficult now to write bad reviews in, in the modern world. That If you write a bad review, you're almost certainly going to get grief on Facebook for it. And um, that was not the case before. People would sort of read a bad review and go, well, he's an idiot. They say it to themselves call up their friends, maybe even call up the critic. That used to happen to me and say, you don't know, you know, you don't know diddly squat, dude. Right. And But now, of course, they do that in public and they will often try to shame the critic and blah, blah, blah. And so the easiest and most, and most simplest way out of this conundrum is to like everything or to say nothing if you don't like it. And I have to try and I have that impulse too, but I try not to do that. I try to still be honest and to say exactly what I think. I don't think... Um, very much into cruelty or cheap lines or anything like that but you do have to let people know um when something's good you have to sometimes cut away the weeds so that the beautiful green shoots can grow and that's the reality i think of the theater um but it is it is a, a time when critics have to be very very careful about what they write and how they say it and i think we can all think of examples of where maybe an ill ill-considered phrase and or something that, uh, you know, was taken in a different way than the critic intended can cause all kinds of trouble. And that's that's a, that's a challenging part of the job. Uh, just like accuracy is the part of the job, it's very challenging to get everything right all the time. Yeah. And, you know, it's important to remember that critics write on deadline for the most part. So, you know, it's not like we're taking weeks and weeks and weeks to think about all these things either. We're, we're writing on a tight deadline. So... I, I get preoccupied with that, and my career is littered with the mistakes of that kind that I've made. But you know, I do my best. What can I say? Right, and I'll and I want to. I'll spend a few minutes talking about you growing up, real quick. But I do want to ask. You know, 
I know that when you write in a review, you have the three words on top of your computer, which is tell the truth. Uh, when you write an opinion piece, though, is I mean, I, I assume it's also tell the truth, but um, what sort of feedback are you sort of expecting? I mean, like review, it's going to be obviously different, but what's the mindset then when you wrote, when you start to uh, write that? Are you meaning in terms of the theater or more generally? What I mean, but more generally, you know, you write, I mean, when you watch like a talk show or a news report and they, they give, they start with their 10 minute opinion piece, like right, that's how they right, start right. off. Like they're going to expect some, some sort of reaction. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, the nature of opinion writing is that people have to give a damn about what you're saying on one side or another. I mean, I'll give you an example. I wrote this opinion piece. Uh, I wrote an editorial yesterday about there was a video that was put out this past weekend about reimagining Soldier Field. And it was kind of a video. It was very it was put put together by a developer who had all kinds of conflicts of interest, you might say. And this kind of just kind of ticked me off because I thought it was not realistic, but it was also fun. Uh, but there I felt there are bigger priorities for the city and so on. So I wrote in a, a piece that's done quite well. You know, we know in the online environment, we know how many people read every piece. So there are certain things that we do to obviously make people read things more. The headline is very important, more important than it ever was um, in, in many ways. And headlines now have to work in search engines as well as the old school print headline where, you know, it was just, can I attract your attention in a print article? So, um, um, you know, I'm a moderate person by nature and by politi political affiliation and by everything about me, I think of as centrist and moderate. So I really try not to contribute to what I see as the very damaging polarities of America, if that makes any sense. So that that's tricky because opinion, much of opinion writing in America is very ideologically driven on one side or another. And a lot of it's boring to me because it's very predictable. So the opinion writers or the critics that I don't particularly enjoy reading, you tend to know what they're going to say the first part. Actually, I know what they're going to say when I see their name and the topic. The ones that I most enjoy change their points of view as the facts, you know, as the facts change. So I try to be, try to go in there fresh. Uh, that, and I think as a theater critic, that's the number one thing is you've got to try and go in there with a the blank slate every night. And that's difficult because there's a lot of noise what you know including the social media stuff it's all noise but really at the end of the day art great art you know it, it can surprise you that there can be people who you've never really particularly thought were all that great before who suddenly find something in a show that transforms them I've, I've that's happened to me a hundred times and the converse can happen where people you think of as great artists just the work doesn't work i mean we were talking about Frank Aladdy earlier. He had two or three utter disasters. And mm -hmm. I sat there going, oh, my God. I mean, they were terrible, terrible. You're like, he did this? But then, you know, for every one of those, there was 20 masterpieces. And that's the nature of art and artists. And I think that theater artists, for the most part, are smart people. And they know, they often know when a show is not great. And often, I think, probably 80% of the time, nothing I write surprises them because they know it to be true. And not always, but a lot of the time, and especially the older the artists get, the more they begin to see the context of their own work. So I think that um, 
I, I try to find a balance between writing in an interesting way and not contributing to the polarization of America, if that makes sense. No, it does. Yeah. Uh, so I do want to spend a few minutes to talk about young Chris growing up in Manchester. Uh, <laughs> is this true that when you saw shows, you would just bring dates along just so you can just see? Yeah, show? <laughs> yeah no, I did. I, I, I went, I started going to the theater when I was about 14 or 15 and I lived in the city of Manchester, which many people know it's a big Northern industrial city. In the early 80s, theater wasn't all that expensive. And Manchester happened to have big university and it had a lot of great theater artists, um, people like Tom Courtney, uh, who worked at a theater called the Royal Exchange. Um, they There was a university theater that did lots of Brecht and a kind of a radical theater that did a lot of very lefty plays uh, in the 80s that I really got into. Um, and I went to four or five um four or five theaters all the time there was also in that era in the 80s and this is what i think got me to drama school uh, to, to study theater at university was um there was a lot of interest at the time especially in the north of england where i grew up in what i would call the popular audience so theater artists have always been preoccupied with how to change their audience it's a perennial obsession theater artists never like the people coming to their shows they don't like their age they they're always trying to change it and they're specifically always trying to attract young people and that was true in the 80s but there was a lot of people experimenting with giving people a really good time there was a very seminal book at the time by a socialist uh theater practitioner called John McGrath that I was very influenced by. The premise of the book was that regular folks don't actually want to, you know, sit in a in a pretentious environment and be lectured at. What they actually want is something equivalent to going to a bar. And so these radical theater practitioners were trying to recreate that um, so that they could attract a working class audience and say what they had to say. And Manchester was kind of the epicenter of that. And that was a big, big part of what I was interested in at the time. That's that's wonderful. Uh, I'm going to ask two more questions before we wrap up. I think yeah. this is lovely. Uh, I know that you're a professor at DePaul or an adjunct professor. Yeah. Um, what has, I always like to ask teachers this question and professors this question. Um, okay. How have your students sort of like inspired you or um, maybe, maybe shape your opinion now on a certain subject or certain topic? In, even nowadays. So I've taught for, for 20 years, I've taught MFA actors at DePaul. I teach a seminar class. I, it, I teach a little less than I used to because that program changed. But for, for most of my career, for 20 years, I taught uh, the first year of the MFA actors and directors and designers, occasionally designers at DePaul. Um, uh, and I always, I would say a few things about it from a personal point of view, Many of them are are lovely, lovely people, and I'm just delighted they're in my life. And a few of them still are, and that's a wonderful thing. That's number one. Number two is I always felt known by my students because I would sit there with them and I would uh, talk to them, and they'd talk to me. And I always felt, even though some of them graduated and then promptly went after me, which was their privilege, I always thought. Um, mm. But I always felt that well, at least they're doing that with the guy they really know because right. you, if you take on my class you you know you sort of end up with the sense of a person because when you're a student as i'm sure you know you sit there staring at someone and you have all these views about them and opinions so i always felt known and i actually find that to be a really really important 
thing looking back on my life that I've really valued is to be known by my students. I cannot overestimate that because as a writer or as a critic, you're not known. And people often, um, you know, people tend to stay away from critics. Uh, they tend to uh, ascribe all kinds of things to them that are not true. And that's just part of the job. But teaching is different from that. You 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 are more known by that. So I found that very, very important. And I've always been fascinated by their, their minds and also by, then this, of course, is a crucial thing. Um, I have enormous respect for people who choose the theater as a profession, especially in Chicago. It's not easy. And I people make enormous sacrifices. And I agree that it's so volatile and so difficult to survive in and so up and down and that historically is not treated as so many of its workers all that well. And that I've, I think, had a much better understanding of that specifically through my students. Yeah, no, I, I that's wonderful. Uh, before we go, my last question is, I, this has been lovely. Yeah, um, yeah I kind of want to know, you know, going forward, um, using your position, using, you know, the name, your name, Chris Jones. <laughs> Whatever that's <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, how do you plan? Do you how do you plan to keep using to use your role um, as the editorial as an editorial or as a chief theater critic for the theaters for the the marginalized the smaller community theaters for even the regional theaters going forward? Is it just going to be going to keep doing what you're doing? Is it going to be looking at the other theaters that maybe your readers have never heard of before, but might want to give them a plat uh, that theater a platform to? um showcase themselves how do you plan to go well forward? you know that's a great that's a really awesome question i i it's very you know it's a very difficult that's a very difficult to answer fully and sincerely and as well as i would like to i don't know right now at this moment i think we're still focused on recovery like i i just want the theater to be back where it was that's not to say i want it to be the same because i don't but when it comes to sort of um, quantity and uh, a full uh, panoply of things for people to see and ambitious projects, I think that it, it, right now we just have to really focus on getting that back. And, and included in that is getting the audience back. And I think the Chicago theater has allowed itself partly well, mostly through circumstances, but not entirely through circumstances. It's allowed itself to become too myopic and too inward looking. And it has, has, has to look again at the audience and say, how, you know, what are we doing now with our audience? How are we essentially repairing our relationship with our audience? And because I think that the audience has felt, um, abandoned to some degree by the Chicago theater. So I think that's job one is to reintroduce the Chicago theater to the audience. And I think the Chicago theater has to become less fractious and it has to become more um, uh, community oriented, you know, community minded has to become more um, uh, focused on um, fewer uh, internal act, less internal angst is very much uh, would be a very good thing at this moment. I also think the Chicago theater has to look beyond the city and that one of the things it's achieved uh, during my career is national and international prominence. And that is, and that by the way, is not just the big theaters. Many of that, that prominence comes from the very smallest theaters. 
and that such as relationships with playwrights who have give their latest work to a tiny Chicago theater because they think they do right by them. And that kind of thing is crucial. The city itself has become more inward looking and less internationally focused. And I think that we all do better in Chicago when we have our eyes on the world and we think more globally. And I think though all of those things uh, I'd like to be in the bully pulpit for. And I also think that we have to produce locally as much as possible and we have to export what we do. It's vitally important that that we do that. I would, If you were to ask me my biggest sadness as a critic over the years, this is what I would say. It's really great work that I have really loved and supported and done everything I could for that has gone nowhere. And I know, because I spend plenty of time in New York City, I know that had that same work been in New York City, it would have been seen, it would have been turned into a movie. We build or rebuild or build back better the ability of Chicago to support people in that way. And that really matters because it's what creates the kind of stable industry that attracts big talent here. We have to have, we have to be a magnet for talent. You know, that is very, very important. Talent is is the lifeblood of the theater. And we have to uh, be a place where talent is recognized and rewarded and nurtured and cared for. Um, but at the same time, we have to make it possible to make a living here in the theater. And it, it has been possible for some people, but it, it is that the economic underpinnings of the industry here have been much neglected over the past two or three years. And we have to get back to that. And right. I'm going to do my best to say all of that and, uh, you know, try and support the theater as much as I can. Right. And and as as someone who works in these smaller theaters, I think it's on its way up. And uh... yeah, I do, too. I do, too. I do, too. I think it's on its way up. I think 2023 New Year. It's just a bit early in the year. I'm like, right. I'm like, There's a great show, but it's early in the year. So. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think that, but I think it's time to come together, to re-energize, to refocus and to go, okay, uh, we have to like get this industry back where it was and make it better than it was. Well said. Chris Jones, I thank you for spending some time with me. I've had a lovely time and um, all my best to you and your work. And I continue to look uh, to hear more from it. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Chris Jones, for coming on to the show. Next week. We're going to speak with the artistic director of Second City, John Hildreth. I am so excited for you to listen to that episode. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. You know what's great? The Facebook, the Instagram. Well, maybe not Facebook. Maybe not Twitter. I'm just riffing at this point. <laughs> like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at Parents Proud Podcast. Email us. That's safe. Uh, Parents Proud Podcast at gmail.com. And that is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I am Matt Schufreiter. I will see you next week. Bye bye. Bye-bye.